0: We've been looking at the book of James, and again um, this morning I, I just—I'm not sure I have more of a sermon or a Bible study, so that's where I figured I'd sit down, take a little intensity off, and we're just going to look through this chapter today and kind of see what we find there. Um, I'm tired. Anybody else tired? just seems like daily I get up and I'm tired. I don't know if it's the weather. I don't know if it's all the uncertainty with the political climate or the COVID climate or whatever it is, but I'm just tired on a regular basis. And maybe it's just the wintertime coming. I keep praying maybe that God will give us one or two more days of sunshine so that we can just re-energize one more time. And we've, we've already been pretty lucky, haven't we? But anyway, we could deal with that. I could handle that. Or maybe a little bit of snow so the kids can get out and build a snowman, right? And it can melt the next day because that's usually what happens here in Michigan. Norma, when was the last time you built a snowman? Just curious. A long time ago, did Roy build snowmen when he was still with you, with us or no? No, he didn't. He built everything else, but no snowmen. Anyway, I would pay money to see a snowman that Norma built. We should go over to Norma's house, Pat, and we should build a snowman this winter. Don't you think we should do that? That might be fun. We'll do it in a COVID-friendly fashion. Anyway, so let's take a look at James chapter 4. We've been walking through the book of James, and just to remind you of what this book is kind of all about, James, we believe, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem in the first century. We also believe he was the brother of Jesus. Now again, I believe this lends credibility to who Jesus was. Because if you can get your own brother to buy into the fact that you're the son of God... That's a pretty big feat, amen, because our brothers, our sisters, our siblings, they know us better than anybody does, and James eventually did come around and follow Christ, and so James is writing to the Jewish Christians that had kind of been scattered throughout the known world at the time, and they were in, in churches, we believe the letter was circulated from church to church to church, to kind of address some of the issues they were dealing with. And the biggest issue that they were dealing with, kind of the theme of the whole letter, was that they needed to grow up in Christ. And, and by that, what I mean is they were talking a good game, but they really weren't living out their faith. And James, on more than one occasion through this book, gets into this idea of you can't just know it. You can't just talk about it. If you're going to follow Christ, then you actually have to walk the walk. And so James kind of gives them that message. So let's take a look at James chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, kind of get that into our minds, into our hearts, and then we'll talk a little bit closer as, as to what it means. James says, what is causing the, the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. How many of you were okay until you read that passage and now you're depressed like me? Anybody? It's kind of depressing, but we're gonna get through that. Just bear with me. Humble yourselves, he says, before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Let me read that again. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other. Dear brothers and sisters, if you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. How many conversations have you had with your children? Does this law really apply to me, dad? Do I have to do it or not? That's kind of how we are with God. It's kind of sad, but it's true. Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, Who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? It's it's kind of a long text, I realize that. And what James kind of gets into is this whole idea of battles and, 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 and wars and fights. Now, when I was young, I used to love a good fight. And by that, what I mean is not a fist fight, because I never actually got into a fist fight when I was young because I was too chicken. I was a fast runner, and therefore if I ever had the, the danger of being picked on or bullied or anything like that, I would just run as fast as I could and get away. How many of you were fast runners so you never had to fight? You guys stayed and fought, huh? Okay. The other, the other defense against fighting when I was a kid was you wear cowboy boots. You kick somebody in a shin with cowboy boots, they're not coming back. That ends the argument right then and there. Anyway, I used to love a good fight when I was a kid. Not, not a fight necessarily, but a battle, you know, like a verbal battle. I used to love to argue. I used to love to have debates with people. Growing up as I did in the Church of God for my church experience and in going to a Baptist school for my school experience, there were all kinds of differences in belief, and I loved to have those debates and arguments when I was younger. As I've grown older, you know what I like now? Peace. And you know what goes with peace, really well with peace? Quiet. Anybody else like peace and quiet? I love peace and quiet. As I get older, the older I get, the more I like peace and quiet. And that's why Tori and I are doing our best to make our house unhospitable so that our children will move out as soon as possible. Amen? Just kidding. That was a joke. I don't really mean that. But anyway, it's true. As the kids get older... There's a little more peace and quiet in the house, and that's a good thing. And as I get older, I just like the peace, and I like the quiet. Now, I understand that there are some things worth fighting for, especially when it comes to our faith. There are times when we run into people who disagree with us, and and maybe want to say that what we believe isn't true. And there are times that certainly we need to stand up for what we believe in, and and stand up for what God would call um, truth. And, And as I said last week, we need to be very careful, though, what we're standing up for, and make sure that it's actually the truth of God, and not just something that culturally we accept except as being true. But I do believe there are times when we need to have those debates and, and maybe struggle a little bit with that. But, but as a general rule, I like to be at peace. And that's why as I get older, I'm less quick during conversations, especially in group places, to offer my opinion unless it's asked for. Because I found that as I go through this life, there are plenty of people who are willing to give their opinion whether you want it or not. Can I get an Amen you know you sit in any kind of public situation if there's more than five people there there's usually one or two people that are more than happy to dominate the discussion and tell you everything they believe about everything and when they start to do that one thought crosses my mind that used to be me and it annoys me. So I don't want to be that anymore. So I hold my opinion back. And you know what? If somebody asks me, I'll tell them. I'm happy to do that. But I find that as I get older, I keep my opinions to myself a little bit more unless people want to know. And then I'll share it because I love peace. I believe that some of the battles that I got into when I was younger really didn't do anybody any good. And quite honestly... In the body of Christ, as people see us battling with each other, as James kind of refers to here, I believe it has a negative effect, not only in our fellowship, because we start to divide the church and get angry with each other, but even outside the church, it has a negative effect, because when we're constantly at war, people have a hard time believing that we're all about the love of God. Am I right? If, we, if we're going to talk about how we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor, but yet we're famous as a church... For being a church that battles within our ranks, that just doesn't bode well. And unfortunately, during the time that James is writing this, apparently they had lots of quarrels and and battling going on because he begins with a question. um, You know, what do you think causes these quarrels and fights? And he uses the word among you. In other words, these are battles that they're having within the fellowship of the church. And I don't know about you, if you've talked to anybody that doesn't attend church or is outside the church or maybe doesn't ever come, we're famous. The church is famous for the battles that we have. And there have been battles and quarrels and fights in every church I've ever been in. Now, I grew up in a church that had some conflict. Of course, it was a small country church, and almost everybody there was related to each other. Anybody else have that experience? I'm telling you what, you go to a church where everybody's related, you're going to have quarrels, you're going to have battles, because sometimes cousins fight. It's just the way it goes. But unfortunately, the church is, is known for that. And again, if we're known for that, it hurts our ability to have credibility with people that we're trying to win to Christ. And so he kind of kicks it off right off the bat by talking about three different ways or three different groups that we 're kind of at war with, and as i 've already said, the first one is that we fight with each other, we have quarrels and fightings among us within the body of Christ in, in, in uh, verses eleven and twelve, he talks about how we 're not supposed to speak evil against each other, that we're const- that they were constantly criticizing and judging each other. So there was all this dynamic taking place in the body of Christ back then, and it wasn't doing them any good. Just like it doesn't do us any good today. And so he talks about, first and foremost, that they were at war with each other. But he doesn't stop there. It's almost like almost immediately he identifies that the real problem isn't the war that we're having with each other, it's the war that begins within us. Because in verses like 1b and and, and on to, to verse 3, he talks about the war that's happening inside of us. Um, Let me just go back and kind of refer to that. He he says, don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? And then he talks about the things that we want and how we try to get them and how we scheme and and hopefully we don't kill people to get what we want. Hopefully we've grown beyond that as a society, but it obviously happens because there's still crime. He talks about the fact that we're jealous of what others have. So we fight and wage war to take it away from them Um, and that we should ask God for what we want. But then he says, you won't even get what you want when you're asking because you're asking with the wrong motives. So it's kind of a confusing conversation. It's almost like he's trying to say, listen, you're fighting with each other because there's a battle going on inside of you. And that battle that's going on inside of you has to do with one thing and one thing only. And that is what you want. What do you want? That's a powerful question. Because what you do eventually comes from what you really want. Have you ever thought about that? In this culture, especially, we do what we want. We talk about doing what we think is right, but when it really comes down to it, we do what we want. To do most of the time. And our wants are powerful in the way that they drive us. And he talks about how we're at war with ourselves because what we want is often not in line with what God wants. He talks about the battle that is within us that, that comes from who we are in the flesh. You know, there's these physical desires that we have. How many of you get hungry every once in a while? Raise your hand if you ever get hungry. How many of you eat when you're hungry? Do you, eat, you know enough to eat when you're hungry? Good for you, you're, you're special. That's the way God designed it, is it not? How many of you sometimes eat even when you're not hungry? How many of you eat all the time? I mean, how many of you are snackers? See, I'm a snacker. Apparently, this is a class of people now. Snackers. There was like an article about snackers. And apparently, when you're a snacker like I am, and you just eat for entertainment or whatever it is, or to feel good, I'm not sure what that's all about. When you just snack constantly, apparently, you lose the ability to hear when you're full. And so that helps us eat more, Pat. So if you want to, you know, max out the buffet, just start snacking on a regular basis and your body will just give up on telling you you're full and then you can eat all you want at the buffet. It's a true thing. See, here's the thing. When I'm thirsty, I go get a drink of water. Why? Because God put within my physical body a desire to drink water when I'm thirsty so that I wouldn't, you know, die. He put a physical uh, thirst or hunger in my body for food when I'm hungry, so that I wouldn't starve to death, so I wouldn't die. When I get tired, guess what I do? I go to sleep. So there are physical, the way that we're made is there are these physical desires. Now, here's the problem. The physical desires that we have have been tainted by the fall. They've been tainted by sin and its existence in the world. And sometimes the physical appetites and desires that I have are not healthy appetites. For instance, the desire to eat Lay's potato chips 24-7, not a healthy appetite. The desire that sometimes comes over a person um, in the physical or the sexual manner to to basically step outside of the boundary of their relationship of marriage and and appease their needs in other ways, if you understand what I'm saying. The appetite that I have to take something that belongs to someone else because I want to have it instead of them having it. These are appetites that our bodies and our minds and our hearts conjure up because we're fallen creatures. And what he says is, listen, you want the wrong things. You want the things that will give you pleasure. But what you need to want and what you should want is what God wants. And that's why he says, Listen, if you would ask me, I would give it to you. But when you ask, you got to ask with the right motives. In other words, don't just ask for things that will appease you, that will bring you pleasure. Ask for the things that God wants. What do you think God wants? What do you think God wants for us to have? Think about it. Give some thought to that on a daily basis. What does God want in my life to happen today? You know what I think God wants? I think God wants me to be a good husband and a good father. I think God wants me to love this congregation with all my might. I think God wants me to respond to criticism in a way that is healthy. I think God wants me to love my neighbor as myself. I think God wants his church to love everybody in the community and not just a select few that look and act and talk just like us. Don't you think that's what God wants? So let's take what we want. Let's compare it to what God wants. And you know what? My wants end up looking pretty shabby when I do that. And so this war that's happening inside of us is kind of the key to it all. And he says, listen, if you could solve that issue of the war that's happening inside of you, then you would not only be able to be at peace with yourself, but you would probably find that you're at peace with others, and also with the third person that he says we're at war with, and that is with God. In, in verses 4 through 10, he talks about how we're kind of at odds with God when we, when we um, give in to the desires of the flesh, and when we desire those things more than God, when we try to get comfortable with the world, that essentially we're declaring war on our Heavenly Father. You can't be friends with the world, he says, and then basically try to be friends with God as well. God does not tolerate split allegiance. He wants us to be all in or all out. Listen, we we live in a world that that lives outside the system that God created. The world that we live in doesn't take into consideration what God wants. And it shouldn't surprise us that that's the truth because they don't take God into consideration. We live in a world where there is no concrete standard of truth. Truth is what you make it. You do whatever's best for you. And being quote-unquote happy is the most important thing for most most people. I can't talk today. I got news for you. Happiness is not where it's at. Because happiness comes and goes with the weather. I said I was tired. You know why I'm tired? Because the weather's bad outside. If the sun comes out, I feel better. Does that tell you how frivolous happiness is? If I have something yummy to eat, guess what that makes me? Happy, right? If I have something nasty and disgusting to eat, guess what that makes me? Go get potato chips, right? That's what it makes me. You guys are really stiff today. I'm just saying. Anyway, so there's this desire within us that we have to control. And, and, and as we go and, and we go through these different things and, and we live in a world that stands outside of what God wants, when we cozy up to that world, not when we love the world, but when we literally start to live as they live and, and act as they act and do the things they do and believe as they believe, then we make an enemy of God. He talks about the world and the flesh which is, again, the evil desires within us that, that conjure up all those appetites that are not healthy for us. And then in verses six and seven, he says, listen, you're battling against the devil. When you make the devil your friend, you're at war with God. So, so the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the nice thing is he says that when you resist the devil, he has to what? Did you catch that? He has to flee. Wouldn't it be awesome if everything that we faced that was scary had to do that? I heard a story this week. <clears throat> Sorry about my voice. Let me get a drink of water, see if that helps. I was talking to somebody this week and we were talking about hunting because, you know, today's the opening day of hunting season where everybody goes out and shoots stuff. Um, This is nothing down here, man. I haven't heard one gunshot this morning. Up where I came from in Midland, we would wake up to machine gun fire. I mean, those people were serious. I'm pretty sure somebody was hunting with Simtex up there at one point. You'd hear explosions out in the way. It was amazing. But anyway, it's hunting season, so we were talking about bear hunting for some reason. And this guy told me a story about a friend of his who was hunting in a tree one day. He was up in a tree stand. And a bear comes along and starts climbing the tree. I don't know about you, but that would be terrifying. How many of you would be terrified by that? I'm in a tree, and the bear starts climbing the tree. You know, of course I'm thinking, what's his intent here, you know? Is he like, ooh, buffet, you know? What's he thinking? So he climbs the tree, apparently. Climbed right past the dude, kept on going. And went up in the top of the tree, Messed around for a little bit up there, you know, and the dude is just sitting there like frozen, not able to and he had a camera with him, you know. They all these hunters now, they gotta take their, you know, trail cams with them so they can show everybody what a good shot they are. Notice that you only see the good shots, not the ones they miss. Anyway, so he's like videoing himself. So the thing's up in the tree, and it just finally just climbed back down the tree and got on the ground and took off. I'm thinking to myself, I would not have had that kind of patience, my friends. As soon as that bear started climbing the tree, you know what I would have done? I would have jumped out of that tree, probably broke both my legs, and the air would have eaten well that day, right? Because, man, that's terrifying. I would have never been able to stay in a tree while a bear is climbing by me. You know, you know what they say about outrunning a bear, right? You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun whoever you're with, right? So all I've got to do is beat Malachi, and I'm good to go. i just got to run faster than Malachi and the bear's going to stop and eat him, and I'm good. So Malachi, if I ever go out hunting, I'm taking you with me. Is that all right? You, yeah. He's pretty fast, though. I coached Malachi. Anyway, he might outrun me in my old age. But, you know, terrifying. What, what, wouldn't it be great if you could just say to the bear, hey, stop, and the bear had to run away? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It'd be great if the things that we fear in life were that way. But the devil, which many of us seem to be really afraid of, apparently has to flee when we resist him. Why is that? Because Jesus already won the war, my friends. On the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died and he rose again, he beat Satan once and for all. All Satan can do is run around whispering in our ears, and and the Bible talks about him you know, walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. The, The truth is, if we turn and face him, he has to run. So all he can really do is kind of run around and whisper things in your ear and hope that you listen. I've got news for you. If you resist Satan, he will flee from you. But you know what? If you let him back in the game, he will tell you to do things that you should not do, and he will create in you desires that you should not have. As I thought about this, it kind of reminded me of the Wonder Woman movie. Anybody see the modern Wonder Woman? Please, somebody raise your hand. This morning in first service, nobody raised their hand. I'm like, they're just afraid because she wears that scanty outfit. They don't want to let everybody know they saw it, basically. I'm not ashamed to say I saw, I'm a comic book person. I grew up reading comic books, not DC, but you know, I'll cross over every once in a while. Anyway, the whole theme of the Wonder Woman movie was that she was battling against the Greek god Ares, who's the god of war, and he just kind of sneaks around putting things in people's minds and whispering in people's ears, and as a result, world war whatever happened, right? That's the whole idea. And as I I thought about this concept, that's kind of what Satan does to us. It's not like he comes out and rents a billboard and says, hey, everybody, you should hate your neighbor. He just whispers in your ear one day, did they seriously cut you off in traffic like that? Are you going to let them get away with that? Did that person really just doubt whether or not you were capable at, at your job? Did they really just say that to you? You should give them a piece of your mind. Isn't that what happens? He very seldom tells us, hey, you should go kill that person. You know what he will do? Is he will plant the seed of anger in your heart, and then he'll water it. And then he'll watch it grow. Until you're so angry with that person, you could just do whatever. That's how he works. But the Bible says, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Friends, we're at war with ourselves we're at war with our neighbor and if we embrace the things of this world and the flesh that is within us or what the devil has to say to us then we are essentially declaring war on God himself and that's not the place we want to be because the the devil never has your best interests at heart ever he is always the adversary of God and what he wants So if you want to have peace instead of war, he starts in verse 7 giving us kind of a clue on on how we can do that. If we want to have peace instead of war, he says that we're to, in, in in the translation we just read, he said that we're to humble ourselves. Now, again, in the older translations and some that are more strictly translated from the Greek, the word is actually more like submit. It has to do with obedience. In other words, we need to obey God, and that, you know, goes without saying. Of course, you're sitting there, of course, he's a pastor. He's going to say we have to obey God. That kind of goes without saying, but that's really one of the ways that we can find peace. Because if you really think about it, God's law is all about peace. I know you've never thought about this before, but think about it. God's law is all about peace. When you think of the great commandment that, you know, Jesus gave us, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. The first one is all about establishing peace with God. The second one is about establishing peace with your neighbor. Think about the Ten Commandments. You look at the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's all about having peace with God because God, again, demands that we serve him wholeheartedly. He does not want our our, um, allegiance to be divided. You can't have a heart that's headed this direction and that direction. God is a jealous God in that sense. And so it's all about having peace with God. If you look at some of the other commandments, um, thou shalt not murder Some of you think if I just murder that person, I'll have peace. You won't. I guarantee it. Ever heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? Murder is never the way. Thank goodness most of us have common sense when that comes into play. What about committing adultery? Friends, if you want to have strife in your life, allow the boundaries of your marriage to deteriorate and be tempted by relationships in other directions. That will never bring peace into your life at least not easily steal something thou shalt not steal he says again that doesn't bring peace if you're running around taking other people's stuff testify do not testify falsely or in other words don't lie do not covet we talked about that last week don't want what other people have in other words because that's not going to give you peace it's going to stir you up and finally honor your father and mother the bible even says you should honor your father and mother that it should go well with you my dad loved that verse Honor your father and mother or so that it'll go well with you. Another translation said so that you'll live long. (laughs) My dad really liked to play that up, you know. My dad never abused us. Don't, Don't go there. But anyway, he loved to play that one up. All of these commandments are about how to live together with people in peace because God is for peace. He wants us to work out our issues. He wants us to work out our problems. He wants us to find that common ground. So if we want to have peace in our lives, we need to submit to what God does, uh, says and obey him. The second thing he says is that we're to draw near to God in verse 8, it says, come close to him. In other words, it's, it's literally a word that means to be in close proximity. And we do this, I believe, by becoming like God. I believe that we as Christians are called through the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like God every day. And as we become like God, we grow closer to him. Anybody ever heard of A.W. Tozer? Anybody ever heard of that author? He's written a lot of really good books, really good stuff, very deep theological thinker. He wrote an essay called Nearness is Likeness. And what he meant by that is that the more we are like God, the more we draw near to God. The more we become like God, the closer that we become to him. Now again, we're using spatial language to talk about drawing close to God when we really can't draw close to God in the physical sense, but there is that whole spiritual sense in which we can do that. And a good example of what he was talking about is the fact that like, when I go into my living room, which is torn apart right now because we're putting flooring in. But when I sit down on the couch, no matter where that couch is, I immediately have a buddy sitting right beside me. Anybody want to guess who it is? Huh? It's the dog, isn't it, Norma? Yeah, she's seen my dog. I bring her to the office sometimes. Little tiny dog, little lap dog, because I don't want a big dog because I don't want to have to put stuff back when it tears through the house. You know, Our dog can go through the house on the biggest rant it's ever had. You can't even tell it's been there. Um, anyway, the dog will sit by me. She will sit on my lap. That dog spends more time in close proximity to me when I'm at home if I sit down than my wife does. I'm not ashamed to, to say that because the moment I sit down, that dog plops on my lap and she is there because she likes anybody who's not moving in the house. Amen? So that's my excuse. I got to sit down. The dog's got me. You know, I got the dog. I can't get up. Can't move. It. Now, the cat does sometimes. But cats are more like, yeah, I'll come get you when I need you. You know, dogs are like, oh, you're my, you're my center of my world. I need you all the time. You know, dogs are always right in your face. However, so, so the dog spends more time with me, and honestly, he probably spends more time close to me than my wife. I just thought about that. We need to correct that. We need to fix that. But that dog will never be nearer to me in relationship than my wife. You know why? Because I have far more in common with my wife than I do with that stupid dog. She has a soul. I have a soul, okay? She has empathy and intelligence. I have mostly, most of the time, empathy and sometimes intelligence. We're more like each other because we're human beings, and and therefore, even though she doesn't run and hop on my lap every time I sit down, although after this sermon, she might, to prove a point, um, she doesn't do that. But Even though that doesn't happen, we're still always going to be closer in our relationship because we have more in common, because she's like me and I'm like her. So it's a good way to think about that. God desires for us to be like him because the more we become like him, the more closely we can walk with him in proximity. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does or not, but I thought it was a good thought, so I passed it on. I've done my job. See how that works out in your life. So as sin keeps us away from God, The more we become like him, the closer in proximity we can become to him and the relationship will grow and prosper. And then he goes on to kind of emphasize that by talking about the process of of repentance and how we need to clean up our hands and clean up our act and we need to mourn when, when we've done wrong and we need to really repent hard because, again, God is drawn to that. When we repent of our sins, then the sin that stood between us and God is taken care of. And God can then come near to us once again. And so it's that wonderful, incredible concept that I can barely comprehend. That the God of the universe, the one who spoke things into being, sent his son Jesus. He came close so that we could come close to him. We could live in proximity with him. It's an incredible truth that we need to remember. So we're, we're to submit to God's law. We're to do what he says. We're to, to draw near to him. And then it says, finally, we're to humble ourselves before God, verses 9 and 10, literally to be made low. In other words, instead of trying to lift yourself up, just let God do that for you. Humble yourself. Make yourself low. Allow yourself to be made low so that God can lift you up in the long run. And friends, let me tell you something. You will never rise as high trying on your own under your own power as god will lift you if you just let him handle it uh, i've lived a lot of life so far and I can honestly say to you, there have been times in my life where I was really concerned about making an impact and, and and making a name for myself. And and even though, you know, as a pastor, I've always tried to strive to do God's will and to be a servant, that's always been first and foremost in my mind and my thinking. There there certainly have been times when maybe the things that I desired were for my own fame or my own benefit, or I maybe got upset because they noticed somebody else and didn't notice me, or somebody didn't like my sermon and it sent me into a fit of depression which, you know, since then I've come to the fact that very few people like my sermon, so it's okay, it's all right. But there have been times when maybe I wanted to lift myself up and I was upset that nobody noticed or that I was just one of the crowd. And I can honestly say to you that there is nothing that has ever lifted me up more than simply putting my head down and serving in the way that God called me to serve and allowing God to deal with the rest of it. Let me give you an example from our church. When we started meeting back together again, Melinda put out a call for people to come and volunteer and a whole bunch of people volunteered and it was wonderful to come and help sanitize the building and do that. And, and you know, no offense, but over the weeks and over the months, that group has kind of waned and, and now I see three or four people usually that come and pretty much take care of all of that and, and they do a great job with that and they don't ask for anything. They don't want any recognition. They just come and they faithfully put their head down and do the thing that God called them to do. And I got to tell you, My estimation of them is way up here at this point. I just think the world of them because I see what they're willing to do as servants of the Most High God. And that doesn't mean that my estimation of anybody else has fallen down because we all have to find our place. We all have to listen to what the Spirit of God says and then do what He's called us to do and serve in the way that He's called us to serve. And many of you do that in ways that no one will ever see, but I I guarantee you when you need it the most, God will find a way to lift you up in due season so that you will have the strength that you need to go forward and to do what God needs you to do. Friends, I'm a firm believer that you will never rise as high again as God can take you trying on your own or under your own power. You can't do it all yourself. Humble yourself and God will lift you up in due season. Friends, I believe that that if we want to have peace in our world and peace in our lives, that we've got to learn, like James talked about, to first and foremost listen and submit to the will of our Heavenly Father, to do what He wants us to do, to follow the laws that He's put in place, not because He's going to punish us if we don't, but because His laws are designed around giving us peace in our lives, that we need to to be willing to draw close to Him, and we draw close to Him when we become more like Him, that we need to be willing to humble ourselves and simply serve wherever God places us and to be the people that he's called us to be and he will lift us up in due season. Friends, I believe that we need to see the world as God sees it and live our lives in such a way that, that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are still a lot of things in my life that I'm selfish about. Anybody else have that issue? I'm selfish on a daily basis, I find. You know, when somebody eats the whole bag of chips, Jayla. When somebody finishes off the salsa and I don't even get any, that's just wrong. How many of you agree there ought to be laws against such things? There are things I'm selfish about. I don't always, I'm not always happy when my Suburban has a check engine light that stays on and I see somebody else driving a nice car. I'm not always happy when I see something someone else has and I don't have that there is still selfishness within me. But you know what? The Spirit of God is working on me. And as the Spirit whispers in my ear and helps me to become more like Jesus, my life becomes more at peace. Now, I have to be careful because, once again, there is the danger that someone else is is whispering in my ear, too. And the Spirit will never say something that is not what God would say. And so we have to be careful who we listen to. But I'm here to tell you that as God works in my heart, I find that that submitting to his will for my life and humbling myself before him is the best possible way to find peace. And I hope that you will find it too. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you today and again, I thank you for these words of the scripture which I believe are true. And I believe they're not only true, but, but they are healthy for us to hear and they're good for us. So many people, Lord, think that that your laws and your statutes are are put into place because you're trying to to kill all our fun or, or just because you want to put boundaries around our lives. But, Lord, I believe with all my heart that the reason that you give us instructions are because if we follow them, our lives will be filled with far more peace than they could ever be otherwise. Lord, I pray that you would help us to want the things that you want in the world that we live in today to be willing to stand up for the truth, but Lord, help us to make sure that it's the right truth. Help us to really be be animated and and intense about serving where you want us to serve and, and helping your kingdom to come in whatever way that you've chosen us for, not just to fight any battle we can find, but to make sure that the battles that we're fighting are the battles that are worth fighting and the battles that will eventually lead to peace because we're standing up for the truth of your word and your will. Father, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of church that that looks at our community and sees what you want us to see and wants what you want us to want so that we can follow you in every way possible. More than anything, Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow more like your son, Jesus, each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen.